Well, good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're here watching, either live or sometime later in the week. And we have a few people actually present, which is all also <clears throat> adds to the fun. We're in a series called Ideal Family, and uh, today's topic is Fixer Upper, <clears throat> and that'll make sense in a few minutes. Uh, in this series, we're comparing what God would like us to do with what we actually do, and saying, don't dumb that down uh, so you don't feel bad because you failed, but to keep that tension and keep striving, but then accept God's forgiveness when you fall short. So we've got an important topic to talk about today, and that's about uh, how emotional family disruptions are, relationship disruptions are. Uh, family is not neutral. If I use the term father, somebody, some emotions come to mind for you. If you had a good father, there's some good feelings. Most of us had kind of, you know, neutral fathers. Fathers had some good qualities, bad qualities. Maybe you had a really lousy dad and you just, all, all you have is negative emotions. But you can't think of father without emotions. Same thing is true of mother. Uh, you hear the term mother, you think of your mother. And um, some of you had multiple mothers for different reasons. And so there's emotions about that, mixed feelings. There's hopefully good feelings about your mom, but maybe some negative feelings, especially during those teen years maybe, I don't know, um, or even in adulthood. I have siblings, actually one sibling is here with us this morning. Uh, when you hear the term brother or sister, emotions just come naturally. Again, some good, some maybe not so good. And we're going to talk about those relationships where the negative emotions surface when you hear those terms. Many of us are parents. <laughs> you can't think of your son or your daughter without emotions. And uh, depending on how your child turned out, as ours are adults, uh, you have mixed feelings about that. Maybe they've uh, just decided to dish God and you and have nothing to do with you and, and you're trying to deal with that situation. Um, so it's emotional, and so it's complicated, and it's difficult. And the lie we want to tell ourselves sometimes, especially in those really difficult situations, difficult relationships, is I, I just don't care anymore. I can't care anymore. It's too much pain. There's too much hurt. It's just too hard for me. So I'm going to not care about that relationship anymore. And that's a dangerous lie we tell ourselves. And uh, unfortunately, no matter how much we say that or think that, it just isn't true because um, we're going to find out in a few minutes that that's not the way we're wired. <clears throat> but something happens. It, maybe it's a birthday. Maybe it's a holiday. Maybe it's an uh, anniversary. And you're yanked back to that relationship. And you're yanked back to those negative emotions. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't deny it. <clears throat> and what happens, unfortunately, is we look around I mean, we're not in that relationship anymore. So those negative emotions spill out in those people around us, in your spouse or in your kids, and maybe may even blame those folks for those negative feelings because we don't realize they're, they're connected to some other relationships. And the reality is we all sought our parents' approval growing up. Um, share a story with you. I, some of you have heard before, but... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, my dad died when I was 18, so I didn't know him as an adult, really. And uh, so when we were growing up, 
he was kind of a detached parent, didn't talk much, didn't get involved. My mom did most of the parenting. But when I turned about 13, I started to go to work with him. About the same time we started going to church, which worked out really well because any day I wasn't in school or Christmas, I went to work with my dad laying hardwood floors. And if we hadn't started going to church, it would probably been every day but Christmas. But we didn't, go, we didn't work on Sundays, and we didn't work on Christmas. Half a day on Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, that's what we did. And so my dad wasn't very healthy, and uh, this was piecework. So the more floors we got laid, the more money the family got. So my brothers, did when they got older, they, they joined us. So anyway, by the time I'm 15 or 16, I'm outworking my dad, but I'm still working with him. Uh, when I'm not in school. Well, my dad continually got sicker, and then <clears throat> the winter of 1969-70, um, it was actually between uh, my first semester of college at University of Maryland and second, and it was actually in January, the semester break. My dad one day didn't feel well enough to go to work, and we were in the middle of a, a project, so he asked me to go to work for him, because um, we worked together. And so I did, and after I did that work that day, I heard my father say something to me that I've never heard him say before uh, or, or since, obviously. He said, thank you. He said, thank you, Tim. And it's been 50 years since then, and I still remember that. Uh, a few days later, he died. Found him on the kitchen floor. So we all... Seek our parents' approval. On the other side, i got to think about, as parents, we love to be our children's heroes, don't we? When my kids were little, they'd bring their broken toys to me and say, here, Dad, fix it. And I always was happy when I could, and I was really sad when I couldn't because I was losing that hero status. And, of course, they become teenagers, <laughs> and the hero status is gone. But when they were small, it was neat to be the, the hero. And it's really interesting that Jesus and it may be a little dangerous, that Jesus tells us, you want to know what, how to address God? Address Him as Heavenly Father. Now, depending on what your father was like, that comes all kind of packed with emotions. Uh, if you had a, an absentee dad, you know, that projects over to that term, Father. A perfect Heavenly Father is the caveat we need. But we can say we don't care and try not to care, but the reality is we were created to care. And so no matter how much it hurts and how much we try and deny it, it's just not true. And so we want to try and help you with that a little bit this morning. One way I like to do that is by asking the question, what is the opposite of love? We talk about love-hate relationships. Well, love and hate opposites, not really. My wife and I counsel couples and and... They usually come with lots of negative feelings and there's, you know, blame and sometimes yelling and so forth. We're fine with all that. The problem is when we get one of the partners that comes with what we call apathy. And if there's apathy, it's hard to, to deal with because as long as there's hate, there's emotional investment in the relationship. But when there's apathy, there's no more investment. And to me, that's the opposite and that's the problem. So before we jump into the topic this morning, I want to share a, a video I saw yesterday. It really uh, struck me, as I said in the first service, 
the wife reminds me a lot of my wife, especially when it gets to talking about eyebrows. But anyway, um, about how the tension has been uh, raised during the, the virus for couples. So, watch this, please. Kim? Oh, there you are. I just needed to get away from all of these people. I'm the only person here. I know. I just feel like it's so hard right now. Like, what are we gonna do? I mean, I'll tell you, one way we can fix it is- I'm we... not asking you to fix it. But it could be better. I'm not asking you to fix it. But we could try- Don't fix it. Did you, sir? I did you, no, I did you... no fix. Just listen. Listen, it's time for a haircut. No, I think I'm just gonna let it grow long. No, your eyebrows, they're out of control. So anyway, I was like, are you kidding me? That is insane. I saw them out walking together. I mean, I want to go on a walk with my friends, but we're not supposed to be. And they're like, oh, we're six feet apart. So I yelled at them from my car window. Why are we doing all of this stuff if you're, if you're, if you're going on walks together? Hey, where are you going? I just want to be close to you. Honey, did we get eggs at the store? Did we? Did we go to three stores to try to find your eggs? Did we? We. Yes, we did. Honey, where's the thing that makes the zoodles? Honey, where's the thing that strains the pasta? Honey, where's the mop? Is this a mop? I thought there's like spaghetti stuff. Honey, where's the thing that makes it a mop? Honey, where's the- Don't. But I didn't even- You have lived here as long as I have. I... What can't you find? Milk. I can still hear you chewing. I'm in the car. Then drive it somewhere. How was your day? You were here for literally every second. That's true. I love that you're keeping up with their workouts. Can I work out with you? You are doing great. Did you see my TikTok? Did you like my TikTok? Did you watch my TikTok yet? Go watch my TikTok. Go, go watch, go watch mm -hmm, my, mm -hmm. go watch my TikTok. Mm -hmm. There it is. Did you like it's, it? Is it funny? Is my TikTok funny? Very you like, good. You, you haven't it's liked good. it. I don't, you haven't liked how, it. How? What do I do? Hit the, just hit the thing. Let, yay, thanks babe. We need to watch something new, like not trashy. Ooh, the documentary on the Vietnam War. Ken Burns. I just love that we get to connect and take these long walks and really hash things out and have this time outside together. Honey, honey, are you wearing earbuds? What? Hey, honey, I fixed the light bulb. All right, hey, honey, I made the kids lunch. All right, the toilet's all clean. Why am I even doing this if I can't get credit? Okay, I'm folding laundry now. Okay, is this what you want? Metal, you want a metal? Yes. All right, so hopefully you're uh, navigating the couple thing at home uh, a little better than these folks are. We'll talk about this uh, illustration in a few minutes. So today's topic, and if you uh, tuned in went Friday morning, I gave you a heads up of what we're going to talk about today. It's the process of reconciliation. I know that's kind of a big word. Uh, we'll explain it to you in a few minutes. Um, if you're a Jesus follower, and some of you aren't, and we're delighted you're watching, and we believe what we're teaching will be helpful to you, when we get to the motivation, I'm going to have to say it's really restricted to Jesus followers, but the principle is still, uh, should be helpful to you. As a Jesus follower, what we're going to talk about today, you have no choice. You have no options. 
you and I have to do this. And it'll look, make a little more sense in a few minutes. Uh, one way to address this topic is this way. This is a losing battle sometimes that is always worth fighting for. Reconciliation sometimes doesn't happen. No matter if it doesn't, it's still worth fighting for, and we'll explain that also in a few minutes. <clears throat> whether it gets fixed or not, whether it's relationships restored or not, uh, whether any progress is made or not, it's still worth fighting for. If nothing else, it is good for you. Obedience to God is always good for us that are Jesus followers. So we have to do this. We must do this. And we're going to look at something Paul wrote. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And he goes into uh, quite a bit of detail on this topic of reconciliation. And notice how he starts. Christ's love controls us. Not our love for Christ, but Christ's love for us. Now, that's important to keep in mind. Now, this word control... Translations have all kinds of different words trying to get the full meaning. Uh, the old translation talks about constrains us, constrains us from doing our thing instead of God's thing. Uh, NIV, I think, says compels us, it pushes us, it fuels our passion, it motivates us. Um, so consequently, as a Jesus follower... If Christ's love compels me or controls me, I have no other option. So then he goes into detail explaining reconciliation. Since we believe, now that word believe literally means I'm thoroughly convinced. That's what believe really means. I either believe it or I don't. Once I believe it, I'm convinced. So since we believe or are thoroughly convinced that Christ died for all, not just for me or just for some. He died for all. I'm convinced of that. We also believe, or are thoroughly convinced, that we have all died to our old life. Now, that's a little more confusing and a little harder to understand. We understand Christ died for all, but what does it mean that all of us died? So, Paul goes on to give us some more detail, some explanation. He, meaning Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive new life... Resurrected life was in one of the songs that was sung. Will no longer live for themselves. So what he's saying is, Jesus did not pursue his own interests for our interests or for our best. So instead, we or us will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So since he died and raised for me, I no longer live for my best interest, but the best interest, his best interest. Another way of saying it, I say no to me and say yes to Jesus. Now why? The simple reason he's, he's explaining to us is because of his love, grace, and mercy to us. Gratitude. Had <laughs> a gratitude for all he's done for me, I no longer live for myself. So when there's this tension, when there's this struggle, should I do what I want to do or what Christ would want me to do? 
I've died to what I want to do, so I'm compelled <laughs> or motivated to do what Christ wants me to do. Now, we don't always do that, but that's the basis of reconciliation and, and the Christian life. So he goes on, more explanation. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Hopefully we have. What does that mean? Well, we stop evaluating on surface things, on external things. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. We just thought he was a historical character. Maybe liked him, maybe didn't like him. But now those of us who are Jesus followers, how differently we know him now. We have a personal relationship with Him. We know Him. I was reading uh, in John this morning, talking about the shepherd. The sheep hear my voice. They know me because they know my voice. They know me. They know my character. So they follow me. As Jesus follows, we know Jesus' voice. We know Him. We know His character. So we follow Him. We might say we, we walk by faith, not by sight, but by what we know about Christ rather than surface things or, or visual things. <clears throat> so what do we do? We do what he says. And we're going to see reconciliation is a priority. He goes on. This means, all that I've talked about, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, a Jesus follower, has become a new person, resurrected person, new person. The old life, the previous life before Jesus, is gone, vanished, doesn't exist anymore. A new life, completely new life, has begun. Not a refurbished life, not an uh, uh, improved life, but a new life. How awesome is that? We all like second chances or third chances or fourth chances. So whatever happened before Christ, it's gone. <laughs> it's like it never happened. Now, we still have that, the uh, consequences of those actions. But as far as your relationship with God is concerned, it's gone. <laughs> and something brand new is, has started. How does this happen? All of this is a gift from God. A free gift. Sometimes we add that word, a free gift from God. So while we were at odds with God in the past, once we come to Christ, our, we have established or reestablished a friendship with God. It's who brought us back, that's that word reconciled, to himself through Christ. Not through anything we've done, but through Christ. That word reconcile has a couple images. The one I like is a lock and key. And we've got a guy in our church that, that makes locks for keys, keys for locks, excuse me. Uh, so that person takes this blank key and cuts it to fit, I don't know what they're saying, tumblers maybe, <laughs> in, in the lock, and when it gets it reconciled, the key reconciled to the lock, it opens the lock. Until it's reconciled, it won't, it won't open. Some of us understand the concept of balancing a checkbook. We reconcile what's come in with what goes out, make sure that balances. Most of us, the, 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 the bank and the apps do this for us. Uh, but that's what reconciliation means. Now, the important question here is who initiated 
the reconciliation. The harm party or the innocent party, if there is an innocent party. Well, in our case with God, it was the harm party. <laughs> he was innocent, yet he initiated. In fact, he did all the work and provided as a gift so reconciliation with him can happen. A couple ways to describe it is this way. Through Christ, God removed every obstacle to reconciliation with us, except us. So from God's side perspective, there's no barrier for you and I being reconciled with Him. Even though we had all this garbage and junk in our life, no barriers, none, except us. Our decisions, I, I don't want to be reconciled. So another way to say it, it's the only obstacle to you, to me, becoming reconciled to God is me. My failure to, or my desire to do it. Again, it's not the fault of the innocent party here. It's the fault of uh, the, the hindrance is on the part of the, of the, of the what's the opposite of innocent? <laughs> Guilty party. <laughs> and it's interesting, when we came to Christ, we were convicted of our sin. We realized that we had had a broken relationship with God and we confessed that and God accepted that and He forgave us. But then as your years pass, you become aware of sins that you had all along, but you didn't even know you had because of that relationship as it grows in Christ. Then back, back to Paul's explanation. Paul liked to go into a lot of detail explaining these things. And all of this that he's talked about is a gift from God. And God has given us, those of us who are Jesus followers, this task or this ministry or this work, or this job of reconciling people to Him. Now, we don't actually do it, but being, we're going to see, we're going to be a spokesman to do it. doesn't matter what you've done, no matter what they have done. I try to think of the worst people we can think of. I thought of ch uh, child molesters. The statistics are horrible. I forget what it is for, for women, but I know it's more than 25% of women. So if I've got four women in front of me, at least one of them has been sexually molested as a child. I think it's 10% for boys. So somebody had to do that molesting, right? So I don't know what percentage of people that is. Child molesters, mass murderers, uh, abortion doctors. I, I don't know who you put in, drug dealers. I don't know who you put in this category. It doesn't matter. And I know that's hard for us because we, we have struggled with grace. But from God's perspective, none of those things are a barrier to reconciling with God. And often we, need, we think, well, I, I need to fix myself. I'll clean up some. Clean up myself. Then I'll come to God. And I, I thought of this illustration. If you're out playing in the mud, <laughs> whether you're a daughter or a kid, and you get to the door and your wife says, no, I don't, you need to brush off your sleeve before you come in. Is that going to make any difference? You're still going to trash the house, right? Well, that's the same thing with our relationship with God. It doesn't matter how much little bit we try and clean ourselves up from bad habit we're trying to break, it doesn't matter. We come to Christ just as we are, famous hymn, and then He begins the cleaning up process for you and I. Paul goes on. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. It wasn't us doing it. Christ 
did it for us. No longer counting people's sin against them. So all that garbage you have in your life and I have in my life, God doesn't count it against us. How is that possible? Because of Christ. So the key to reconciliation, and it's difficult for us, I understand, and it's emotional. It's in spite of. God forgives us, accepts us into friendship, into relationship, in spite of all that stuff in our lives. None of that gets in the way from God's side. We struggle with it, but not God's side. We struggle with it because we use the term, I can't be reconciled to you because of, because of the hurt, because of the pain, because of the abuse, because of whatever it might be. That's our problem. There is no problem from God's perspective. That's our problem. He goes on, not counting our sins against us, and gave us, you and I are Jesus followers, this wonderful message and ministry of reconciliation. And he describes us in the next verse as ambassadors. And most of us understand what an ambassador is. We have ambassadors from the United States to other countries. And so they are United States representatives in other countries. They are authorized to speak for our country. They represent our country. So we are authorized by God to speak for him. How awesome is that? We are the voice of heaven to this earth. You know, Jesus isn't walking around anymore. So that is our wonderful ministry or task or responsibility. So we speak for Christ when we plead or urge people to come back to God, to be reconciled to God. And then he goes on. This is the last verse we're going to cover this morning. For God made Christ who never sinned. He never knew sin. To be the offering for our sin. Now, if you, could, if you study this, from God's perspective, the, the text is saying, from God's perspective, Christ's death, suffering and death on the resurrection is a poetic masterpiece. And we scratch our heads. That was, that was horrible. That was terrible. But God, in this text, literally says, that was a poetic poetic masterpiece that I had my son because I love you so much I had my son suffer and die for you so that we could be made right with God through Christ so we come to Christ all that garbage all that sin is left at the foot of the cross all that uh, pain suffering uh, guilt shame all it's all, it's all left there. And it's exchange for God's righteousness is another word. So when God sees you and I as Jesus followers, He doesn't see all that. He sees us through Christ. In fact, the Bible says in some places God can't look at sin. <laughs> so He sees us through the lens of Christ. As amazing as that is. So you and I can be reconciled to God in spite of our sin, in spite of what we've done or haven't done, in spite of it. And if you're struggling with reconciliation with others, we're saying to them, 
you can't be reconciled to me because of your sin, because of the hurt you caused me, because of the pain, because of you, you know, stole some money from me or, or whatever it might be, because of the abuse. And when you and I do that, what we've done is say, I have a higher standard than God. As shameful as that one might be. I know there's pushback. I know there's objections. Everybody's got a sad story. Maybe your sad story is so sad that if I heard it, I would say, well, maybe God should give you an ex- exemption. But there is no exemptions. And I know it feels like an insult to you to, to try and reconcile with that person that, that has hurt you and pained you. And you just feel, well, I just need to move on. Well, according to the Scripture, the only way to move on is by doing everything possible to reconcile with that person. It's in spite of. And I know another objection is, well, it's condoning. It's condoning what they've done. You know, my, my child has moved in with his girlfriend or boyfriend, and, you know, if I accept that, I'm condoning. You know, uh, whatever situation might be. No, 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 no. It, it's not condoning. And if you get accused of condoning something that we, we wouldn't or shouldn't, you're in good company because they accuse Jesus of that all the time. So if you and I take that position, bottom line, and let me be honest with you, all it is is an excuse. It's an excuse to do something we don't want to do, go somewhere we don't want to go, bring up some past hurt that we don't want to bring up. And they may not change. The situation may not change. It might not get any better. But how many people Jesus died for? All of them. So we need to try and reconcile with all of them, and we need to try and help all of them reconcile with God. And even if nothing changes, something will change in you. Something will change in me. God will do a work in us. So if you've been saying, or if you've been feeling, or if you... (laughs) feel tempted to say, well, I just don't care anymore about that relationship. That's a dangerous lie for everyone, but especially for Jesus' followers. What words did Paul start off with? Christ, love, compels, controls, motivates us to this ministry of reconciliation. Now, at this point, nothing's changed in those relationships, has it? And maybe you feel, I'm, I'm sure everybody's had somebody come to mind, and maybe you feel like you're not going to do anything, or maybe you feel like you're going to do something, but nothing's changed at this point. So before we leave, and we'll be finished here in a minute, before we leave, I'd like you to commit yourself to the first step. You can decide, you and God, pray about it, and you can decide, decide. Well, I'm going to write a letter, I'm going to go knock on the door, I'm going to send an email, I'm going to send a text. I don't know what it is. But at least make the commitment now in the presence of other believers and obviously always in the presence of God to take the first step, to let Christ's love control you to take the first step. And I think about, basically it's on the same lines, 
What relationship do you need to try, strive to restore? No guarantees, but try. Let me pray with you. Uh, This is a tough, tough lesson, tough tough message, tough, tough teaching. Because it's painful, it's emotional. And those disruptive relationships, uh, you just can't leave the wound open. I understand that. And God, I know you do. So we do what we can. We don't give up. It's not going to be ideal. And it's going to continue to be emotional. And it's still going to be painful. But God, we need to do whatever we can to reconcile those relationships. And we need, certainly need to do all we can to help Everyone reconcile with you to understand this amazing thing we talked about, that you've done it all and nothing stands in the way of anyone coming into a relationship with you. And God, there's some folks watching that aren't Jesus followers. And we pray for them, that they understand this and how awesome it is that God loves them that much and holds none of their past against them if they'll receive this gift. God, so we want to pray a special prayer for them. We know that you're urging them, you're calling them, and they've heard the truth. God, we just pray they'll step across that line, they'll accept that truth, and then they'll get that, go from having an old life, a messed up life, to a new life, not refurbished, completely new. How awesome is that? And for us that are Jesus followers, God, I just pray we take this seriously, and we have no other options than to obey, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult. God, we need your help to do it, because we, our, our self will want to say, no, 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 it's not worth it, it's too hard. So God, give us the strength, give us the courage to do what's hard. And we thank you in the precious name of Jesus, amen.